This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Scoop, duck, and high five. My name is Matt Bagley. I've got Justin Hopkins here with me. And J-Hop, let's start with the draft last weekend. We, we do a pod on Friday after the Chargers pick Justin Herbert with that sixth spot. And we're talking about how great the fit is for him. And we're talking about... How many ducks are going to go day two and day three? And and at least for me, I was really surprised by what unfolded. Were you surprised by where these guys went and how far they had to wait? No, I mean, I, I, I guess a little bit. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a huge Shane Lemieux fan, a huge Troy Dye fan. I think they were great ducks, had very productive, you know, college careers. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're, 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 you know, the NFL teams, they're looking not only at production, they're looking at measurables, they're looking at versatility, a lot of other things. And, you know, let's face it, there's a lot of guys that come through college that have tremendous college careers that just don't quite pan out in the NFL. And I'm not saying that those two won't, but I guess I could see where a guy like Troy Dye or Shane Lemieux wasn't viewed as a first or even second day uh, kind of pick. I, I just kind of felt that they were always going to be, you know, somewhere in that mid third round to fifth round. And and you're talking about when I say that, yeah, that's a really big range of draft picks. But at that point, you're really kind of your, your degree of separation is very small. Mm. So, you know, the, the going from a first day guy to, you know, a second day guy to a third day guy, you know, there's, there's obviously huge jumps there. And uh, but but again, once you're talking about late third round to you know fourth or fifth round, uh, the degree of separation is pretty small. So I think I think they were fair. Uh, you know, I know we talked about Justin Herbert last week, and that was great that we recorded after he was picked. But you know, the more I've been able to chew on that one, I just man, I love that fit for Justin Herbert. I think I think that's a tremendous situation for him. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you that hey, really fourth fifth sixth rounders are, are all kind of lumped together they're not typecast like the the one two and three guys do you feel like teams are gonna give say a, a fifth round pick the same leeway like in years past I've always thought um, if you get picked inside the first five rounds you're gonna make a roster regardless do you feel like they'll treat these guys that way uh, no, uh, you know, and, and the reason I say that is you have a lot less money invested into those picks than you do a first round guy. Um, you know, so I think at the end of the day, you know, when obviously when there's a dollar amount attached to your name or, or, or just your contract as a, as a GM's basically looking at, at money and, and roster um, and trying to complete everything, you know, a, a fifth round guy maybe gets a little bit more of, uh, of a little more leeway just because you don't have a lot invested there and it's and you're probably drafting that person more on the development side expecting hey look this isn't a day one contributor 
But, you know, we see some things here that in a year or two, let them work within our system, get used to the speed of the NFL. Um, so I think the expectation, I, I think the money demands expectations. And, and again, you're paying a fifth round guy, uh, what, a half, a third of what you're paying a first round guy. So I think they tend to get a little more leeway. But I guess that being said, if they don't produce at all, like in practice or when they get on the scout team or whatever, uh, it's pretty easy to cut ties with them too because, again, you just don't have a lot invested. Yeah. All right, now I want to go into the fit on some of these guys because we talked about teams that we thought might be good, and now we know who will be good or, or bad for these guys. Uh, Troy Dye goes in the fourth round to the Vikings. Do you like that fit for him? I do. I, I, I think – the Vikings have had pretty good success with their linebackers the last few years. And, and if you watch them, uh, you know, they do have a lot of versatile guys in the way they move around. And I think it'll be great for him to have somebody that he knows in Dylan Mitchell already there. Uh, and, and sure at, at this point, these guys are young adults. They've, they've been around the block. It's not like they're little kids leaving the nest for the first time, but again, you're going to an NFL program. You're going to be around a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of very intense individuals. There's going to be some egos in the locker room and some other things like that. So when you can go in as a young guy for your first time around and kind of have that friendly face or familiar face, I think that will really help die. Um, I don't think there's any, well, apparently there's questions about his heart, obviously <laughs> Lewis Riddick, but there, there's no, to me, there's no questions about uh, Troy Dye's heart. Uh, or the fact that he's going to show up and work hard. It, it really is going to be just a matter of ho- how much bigger he can get because if you're hovering between, say, 225 and 235, which I think is probably pretty accurate for him, that's a little bit small for a linebacker in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see if he can add maybe just a little bit more weight, uh, You know, make sure everything's healed up from this past season, and, and ultimately, uh, hopefully, I guess, continue to stay rostered on at least with the Vikings or somewhere. Yeah, I I love Lewis Riddick. I I think he's definitely better than Mel Kuyper at ESPN. Um, But I've always thought he's the best guy they have for the draft at ESPN, and I I thought that was just a bogus statement. I don't know where he got that from. you have any idea where that rumor might have come from? No, I I honestly don't even know that it was a rumor. I I think he might have just not quite done his homework there and was maybe looking to – you know, and because not all those guys can watch everybody, I get it. And uh, you know, some guys pay attention a little bit more to, uh, you know, certain conferences or certain positions or you know things like that. So I, I'm guessing, you know, they might have put him on the spot and he was trying to come up with something. Um, I don't think there's anybody yeah. you can find out out there that's gonna that's gonna back that up for him. It just blew me away because if I remember correctly, I remember reading an article from when he was younger. I think when, when Troy was a sophomore, maybe, and he was talking about how when he was at uh, high school in Portland, they had a police officer visit, and he knew right then, hey, I love playing football. I love, uh, you know, the idea of being a duck and being a, a pro football player someday, but I'd love to be a cop. And I thought, wow, that's really high character when you have a player come out and say that, you know, that he wants to, to serve the community, things like that. So, yeah, I was I was pretty blown away by it, you know. Yeah, and Troy Dye never got in trouble, um, obviously was kind of the ultimate warrior, uh, you know, played through a ton of injuries. I mean, I, I remember watching the game, he, you know, went in and put on a cast and came out and finished the game. I mean, that – 
uh, you know, again, so uh, I'm not going to dogpile on Lewis Riddick. I think it was a, I think it was a bad statement. I think it was an inaccurate statement. But as far as watching ESPN week in and week out and some of their hot take blowhard crowd, he's certainly not um, among their worst offenders by by a country mile. Yeah. So let's keep going here. Round five, Shane Lemieux goes to the Giants. I like this. How about you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. One of the strengths of his game uh, is as a run game guy, uh, you know, excels at his run blocking. And I do believe that, you know, from what I've seen of the Giants, I'm not a Giants fan, but it seems as though they're a team much like the Patriots that have uh, moved their offensive linemen around a little bit. I understand that that's not the norm in the NFL. That doesn't happen quite as often as it does in college, but it seems as though the Giants and the Patriots are two teams that come out in my mind right now that have done that, that you've seen them slide tackles in as guards and, and, and just kind of move pieces around. So I, I don't see Shane Lemieux being a bookend. I don't see him being a left or a right tackle at any, at any moment. And we, and we know he hasn't really uh, been a center. So he, he seems to be a guard by trade, but given the fact that you have Saquon Barkley in the backfield and you did tend to run the ball quite a bit last year, uh, I think Shane Lemieux is a guy that fits tremendously well with what you're trying to do. And again, at, you're talking about a fifth round pick. I think that's really, really strong value there for the Giants. I, I could see somebody arguing Lemieux being a late third round, fourth round guy. So to get him in the fifth round, I, I think you've done, it's a safe pick, I guess, if you will. No doubt. No. And the way I look at it is you have a team that has one of the best weapons in the backfield um, against any other weapon in the league, Saquon Barkley. He's got Christian McCaffrey potential. He's an every-down guy. He's a great pass catcher. And when you have a guy like that, you get a guy out in open space on screens, you need offensive linemen that are great in the open field. And I think that's one thing that really stands out to me when I look back at that Oregon line. Yeah, you have the ferocity and the power of a guy like Penny Sewell on the left, but everybody else was really great in space. They could get out and move. They could help with the bootlegs, help with the screens, and I think he's going to take that to the next level. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, you got to have that interior guy that at least puts a chip on a nose guard or the initial uh, defensive uh, end there, and then that, that allows your offensive line to continue to open things up. How do you feel about Jake Hansen being Jordan Love's new best friend? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, well, I mean, again, we're talking, you talk, start talking about value. And I think that's, you know, ultimately, when these guys go back and, and, and grade teams on their draft, the number one thing you're looking at is value, you know, you're looking at where did you get a, a pick that you, uh, you know, that probably slid around or two, and, and created value. And, uh, you know, Jake Hansen, I, I mean, he was Mr. Dependable. I mean, you clearly noticed when he wasn't in the game for Oregon, when he, when there was a few games that he missed as center and give, you know, Calvin Throckmorton a lot of credit for filling in there, but it was definitely, uh, you know, not only was there a downgrade there in an overall ability to play center, it also took away Calvin Throckmorton at right tackle, which was another downgrade. And we saw that play out for Oregon uh, several times. I think a guy like Hanson with, with his experience and the fact that he was able to go for the last couple of years against a guy like Jordan Scott uh, you know, Jordan Scott might not be a, a first round NFL guy, but that's that's legit good practice for you week in and week out. 
you know, of somebody that pushes the scales at 330 or so uh, and as strong as an ox. So, again, uh, if you're an NFL team that really wants, uh, I think, again, Jake Hansen's another guy that grades out really well in the run game uh, and his run blocking. So um, I know that has not been the forte of the Packers in the past. But with them adding a guy like Jordan Love and, and maybe looking a little bit more at the running back position, it seems as though they might be shifting towards that, especially as we know since Mike McCarthy's not there any longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's all the drafted ducks. And, and we could talk about how the Saints grabbed a slew of undrafted ducks, like my guy Jawan Johnson. Uh, we could talk about you know maybe their chances, but just big picture – uh, a couple of questions on this class. They didn't have the most Pac-12 draftees. Does that concern you? Uh, no, no uh, not at all. And it's actually it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, the other day, yesterday or day before, I, I started. So, you know, all of the guys that, that signed or were uh, – that, that were drafted or signed as undrafted free agents from Oregon, with the exception of Juwan Johnson – uh, came from the class of 2015 or the class of 2016, obviously neither of which uh, Mario Cristobal was present for. So, you know, he was working with the existing talent on that roster. Uh, and you go back, and I, I wrote an article on the 2015 class and just kind of a retrospective of what it looked like, you know, where these guys came from. Uh, every single one of them, with the exception of Bryson Young from that particular class of 2015, was a three-star. Bryson Young was the only four-star, and again, I'm excluding Jawan Johnson because he didn't sign with Oregon at high school. Uh, he was a, a pretty highly ranked four-star, uh, but signed with Penn State. Uh, so for the guys that signed with Oregon, and that would have been, you know, in the Mark Helfrich area, and then transitioning into the Willie Taggart area, uh, you know, soon after, uh, it, it was the 2015 class was wild. I mean, it just the top seven signees that Oregon signed in that class didn't end up making it more than a couple years with Oregon um, and either went to play somewhere else or didn't play uh, anymore. And so you're talking about the guys, uh, you know, it was, let me see, out of that class, it was Shane Lemieux, Calvin Throckmorton, Jake Hansen, and I'm just going off memory. Uh, but those are the guys that pretty much came out of that year and were signed or drafted uh, this year. So I think overall where I'm getting at is Oregon, as we've seen the last two to three years, has upgraded in talent significantly. We've seen the recruiting classes that are signed highly ranked. We're seeing Oregon uh, actually getting more and more five stars. One of the only five stars they signed uh, you know, before Mario Cristobal showed up came out of that 2015 class was Canton Kamatule. Uh, I think he lasted a year. I don't think he even lasted two years at Oregon. Uh, obviously wasn't drafted. So I think there was a really good job of developing uh, those mid three stars and getting them up to being NFL caliber players. Um, obviously for those guys to be at Oregon, as long as they were, they redshirted. Uh, and that was the case with all, all of them. Uh, coincidentally, Ugo Amadi was part of that class, played for the Seahawks last year, uh, played as a true freshman. So uh, again, I, I, to only, I, I know we're going to say they only had four guys that were drafted, uh, you know, Justin Herbert, Troy Dyer, a couple of guys that, that uh, you know, that raised the most eyebrows. But I think as I'm starting to write about and as I'm starting to look at, I think Oregon's got an opportunity to have 10 to 12 guys drafted this coming year uh, with a large amount of them playing on defense. And, and that's perfect because that was my next question. Do you think they have a better draft next year? 
yeah, you start looking at this thing and it, uh, it's early, obviously things happen, but I can see a case where Oregon's got a couple of juniors in, uh, specifically, uh, and Panay Sewell, obviously the talk of the town, potentially the, the number one draft pick period in the NFL draft, not to, not just the number one tackle. Um, he's got that type of potential. I think, you know, we've talked about this before junior years, his last year at Oregon, I think he'll en- enter the NFL. Um, so you're, you're already looking there. Another guy that I think has that type of potential that we should look at is Javon Holland, uh, you know, safety nickel, whatever, whatever he plays, um, you know, first and foremost, he's going to be a junior. He was, uh, he's, he's had a terrific uh, career at Oregon already. And I think the type of scheme versatility that he offers, which is kind of one of the NFL buzzwords we heard uh, the last year or two, you know, especially with defense, he offers a lot of scheme versatility on where you can play him. Um, you know, offenses are getting a little more complex in the NFL, which means the defenses have to also get a little more complex. Uh, you're seeing a guy like Javon Holland who can almost drop down in the box if you need him to, but can roam around at safety, can play nickel, uh, can be a pretty good coverage guy if you need him to be. Um, you know, I think he's got a lot of, lot of versatility. I think he's a, I think he's a, a, a first, second, early third round type of guy as things stand today. And that's almost a worst case scenario for him. But, right. uh, you know, another, and, and probably the last junior that I'll highlight, uh, CJ Verdell at running back for Oregon, um, had a pretty productive career in terms of numbers. I know there are some that, that wonder if he can translate into the NFL, um, you know, maybe just from stature, just from vision, some of those things. But as a running back, you know, you're already taking so many hits as it is. Do you want to spend another, uh, you know, college career and, and, you know, racking up that type of hits on your body? Or do you decide, hey, I've kind of hit my ceiling. I'm going to go ahead and give this NFL thing a shot and, uh, and, and make that jump. So uh, those are the three guys. But, I, I mean, without rambling on and on, obviously we know – at defensive back, you know, Oregon's got Brady Breeze with the potential if he could continue playing the way he was. Diamador, Lenore, Thomas Graham, uh, you know, those three guys right there have serious potential to be drafted either very early or at least some point in the draft. Uh, I know I rambled, but that was seven or eight names right there just going off off memory. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned Javon Holland. I, I love reading about the draft. I'm, I'm the kind of person that I'll pick up a 2021 mock draft the day after. And the people that I read, the people that I trust, they love Javon Holland. Like yeah. you said, could be first round, could be third round. I'd be stunned if he doesn't go day one. Yeah, I, I, I think he's a day one guy. Uh, I do believe it would be a late day one guy if he did go. Um, but... That being said, I think if you're talking late day one, he's probably early day two if he doesn't. So, yeah, he's al- he's already got that type of potential. And I think this year is where he really su- kind of cements where he'll go in the draft, whether it, it is that first day or, or early second day, uh, you know, just based on. But if you're if you're Javon Holland and you're looking again, I know. I feel stupid saying this, but we're obviously you and I are just going to continue talking like there will be a season. And if they decide there won't be one, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But assuming there is a season and Javon Holland plays, I think that's exactly what he's doing. He's playing his way into the first round, uh, into the first round, first day, as opposed to being a second day guy right now as things stands. But you're about to be on an absolutely loaded defense that should make you look very good this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I I guess I could take this a couple of different directions. Um, 
Oregon sent out a press release about fall classes. We could talk about that and, and kind of get your thoughts on you know what they what you think they do in terms of football. Uh, but also the NCAA came out today and said players can get financially compensated for likeness for things like you know social media. You do a Facebook live at the local car dealership, things like that. How do you think that'll impact Oregon? Uh, Oregon specifically, I, I guess I don't know. I mean, overall, how it'll how it will impact college athletics. Um, slippery slope, man. It's uh, I'm I'm one of those people that 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 doesn't believe players should get paid, um, and not because I don't want to see them benefit from their likeness. That's not at all what I'm getting at. I just I really have pretty grave concerns about what it's going to do to college football overall. And, uh, you know, so, so for me, I'm not going to stand on the table and, and shake my fist and say, no, absolutely. You can't do this. Uh, because what good would that do? I'm just going to roll with the punches as they go. But if I had the main boat and was up there, uh, you know, doing that, I, I guess I just, um, I don't like it for college football and I love college football. I hate, I just hate to see some of these changes, but, uh, again, uh, just going to roll with the punches. I don't think it, I don't know. I guess the way I see it and, and I would need to read more about it cause I haven't spent a lot of time doing today doing that. The universities and I'll just use for example, USC, Alabama, Texas with the huge alumni or booster base. Mm. I think it, it, I mean, it's definitely going to benefit yeah. them more so. Uh, you know, let's face it, Oregon overall relatively doesn't have a huge booster base. They have a huge booster um, and, of course, has incredibly deep pockets. But how many different ways can Nike slice that pie um, at the end of the day? And, and I, I give Phil Knight a lot of credit. I know he does so much for the university, but also uh, does tote a very fine line of doing too much or interjecting himself too much. I don't I don't believe that he does right. that. Uh, but I know his voice is heard, of course. But. Um, as for that, you know, Oregon really doesn't have a huge alumni base overall compared to an Ohio State, a USD, uh, an Alabama, you know, some of these big blue blood programs, a Notre Dame, Michigan. Um, so you got to think that guys like Oregon or I'll use a, a, an equal comparison, you know, a, a, a school like Boise State, you know, this doesn't help them at all. Um, but again, that's you know it's it's the way of the world the rich get richer right <laughs> yeah no i i like that point i don't agree with it necessarily but you kind of hit a similar chord that uh our friend dave bartu brought out today uh, he, he tweeted out how he's concerned that you have schools like say in alabama you have schools like a USC, you have schools like a texas or a notre dame that they've got alumni all over the country and they have a lot of alumni who are millionaires who could just right. say, hey, I'm going to buy a hundred of your jersey or or I'm going to uh, give you 10 grand on Patreon, Haley Cruz. Uh, we want you to transfer to Texas, Wh- whatever. Could be anybody. And, um, you know, whereas a school like the Ducks really doesn't have that. And, and yeah, you have Phil Knight, but to, to kind of put a different spin on what you said I know in advertising, we have clients that, like, say a Dutch Bros. Dutch Bros is a massive business, and and every salesperson at every radio station in the state thinks, 
I want to get Dutch Bros on this radio station, right? They want to sell to Dutch sure. Bros. And the reality is Dutch Bros isn't going to buy advertising unless they want your brand, unless they think your station is, is good enough for Dutch Bros. Um, so, like, the Ducks do advertising with them. The Beeves do a, a real little bit with them. Um, uh, otherwise, they are really picky with who they work with. And that's what you can afford when you're one of those great brands. So I, I think about Phil Knight. Yeah, the Ducks have a booster who has a lot of money and a, a very, very big brand. But I don't think every Oregon athlete is a perfect fit to to attach with that brand. So I, I, don't, right. I, I don't see all of them going to Nike. Yeah, and well, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously with this coming to light, you're – you know, you're not going to align with the 15th best player on Oregon's roster or whoever. You're going to go after, you know, the Justin Herberts, the Troy Dyes, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the household name type of players uh, nationally. So, uh, you know, not it, you don't have to look at it as, oh, okay, we're going to have to get, uh, you know, funding for 82 players. You, you don't do that. Obviously, you just do it for the, the big heavy hitters. Um I don't know. It'll be interesting. I guess the hardest part to me is just drawing the lines where, you know, how much is too much for any one player? You know, how much is too much for any one school? Will there be limits? Will it be like major league baseball where the rich just get richer? Um, you know, I guess it just comes down to, you know, how they decide to set the parameters. Um, but again, I, I just, I continue to think that this just keeps making the rich get richer. And instead of, I think college football is at its best when there's real parity in college football. We are better served when there are 10 to 15 good teams. And yeah, maybe one, two or three or four are a little better than the others. But when there's 15 really good teams, we're all better served with a better product. I mean, you know, the top 25 was pretty fun this year because it just kept, you know, teams kept moving in and out. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we keep, creating these dynasties like Clemson and Alabama. Those are two perfect examples. I, I don't see any way that this harms two schools like that or even Ohio State and Georgia and makes it harder for them to compete for the top four or five every year like they are and allows others to catch up. I, I just think that it helps them continue to do what they're doing and makes it harder for the Oregons and, you know, maybe uh, an Auburn or, you know, the other schools that are that are simply trying to catch up. No doubt. Hey, um, you were efforting a, a guest whose name I'm not going to tip just in case we don't have him. Do we have that guy? Uh, I have not heard anything. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I guess uh, we can continue on and and, um, and we'll just keep going and see if, and see if they pop in. Right. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep – every now and then, mystery guest is a really good thing on this pod. So we're waiting for – today's mystery guest um oregon sends out a press release two days ago where they say they are still planning on having students on campus for fall term and everything back to normal do you buy that um i gosh man we you know i uh i i found i find this i find that the uh you know, the, the, the quarantine and the COVID-19 talk is obviously very, uh, you know, very emotional for some people. And I, and I understand that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a person that, that seems to think that there's a lot of, of folks and businesses that are, 
you know, being truly altered by this in, in a very negative way. And the reason I bring that up is I do believe that at some point, whether it be in four weeks or six weeks or two weeks or whatever, I think we're going to get to a level where the leaders and the decision makers behind all of this get to a point of, hey, okay, we need to start returning to normal. And I know some states have done that ahead of others. And some states have said, we're going to do phase one, phase two, whatever the case might be. I think the University of Oregon is looking at this and, and really just trying to show uh, a, an example of strength and saying, hey, look, you know, we're not in jeopardy of shutting down. Even though we are able to do online teaching, we want to continue to do in-class teaching when that's allowed. Um, you're talking about a school that's looking that starts in late September, uh, you know, like, like around that third week of September is typically when Oregon starts. So here we are late April and, and they're projecting out, you know, four months ahead at least. I, I, I think it's a relatively safe thing to say. And there's absolutely no reason that it gets into late August and the university says, hey, look, we need to, you know, continue with online courses for another 30 days or so and then return this thing's going to return. We're not going to stay in quarantine forever. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. And, and I think all the university's done is basically said, Hey, look, you know, we expect to reopen. We want to get back to having, you know, students in our classes. Um, and, and we just, you know, I think it was a position of, of confidence, if you will, more than anything. Yeah. Um, what do you I'm not, no. on the heels of that, I'm not a big fan of the, of the folks that are projecting. We might be closed indefinitely. Well, you can't say indefinitely. I mean, you can say indefinitely, but it just really doesn't add any confidence to anybody. You know what I mean? Right. What do you think's the biggest variable there? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, student student health, um, you know, student, you know, uh, faculty health. Uh, I, I got to believe that in some way, shape or form, and, you know, this might be right, this might be wrong. I got to believe in some way, shape or form life as we know it moving forward when things return to the new normal as everybody calls it will be a little bit different will people wear masks to school every day i doubt it will there be you know extra antibacterial soap placed at entrances for for people you know maybe that's that's semi realistic will i believe there will be different precautions taking taken not just at schools but everywhere for you know for folks to you know feel a little bit more confident for us to maybe not encounter this type of scenario again, or at least not for a long time. So, uh, again, uh, I think the hard part is you've got Oregon, Washington, and California. You know, the governors are working together pretty closely. Um, at, you know, at some at some point, those three either need to separate and go their own ways, or they need to come to kind of an agreement on exactly what the date is and get back to it. Um, you know, California. I just, it's a different state than Oregon in terms of, of, of populated, populated population density and other factors. I just don't think that you can operate the two states the entirely same way, but we'll see, you know, for Oregon, um, uh, you know, let's get the sunshine out here and just kind of kill all the uh, coronavirus and, and then be able to start hiking and going out in the rivers and stuff and fun like that again and, and watch football games. Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll see. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if you read it, but it was really interesting. And this is a bit of a tangent, but somebody posted, it wasn't me, somebody posted on Scoop Duck, if, you know, if the if the Ohio State game, the Oregon versus Ohio State game was today or this weekend, whatever, you know, would you go? And it was, I mean, it was over 100 posts last time I looked at it. And wow. it was, 
it was pretty interesting just to see the dynamic of folks that, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm going. I'm not worried about it. People that said there's, there's no way you're getting me into that stadium um, and, and everything in between. So I think on the heels of what you're asking, it's just it's just interesting how different people are looking at all of the information and processing it. I didn't see that thread. How would you answer it? I didn't because I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I, I don't, I don't mean that the people that answered it are stupid. I mean that there's no right answer for me. Right. Right. So, you, yeah. you, you're going to offend everybody regardless. Well, I'll just say this because I don't really have a dog in the fight. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, attached to the scoop duck brand. So if I say something, I'm not going to tank your site. I wouldn't go, uh, but that's just me. I, I wouldn't right. go because the idea of being in a stadium with 70,000 other people, it, it really, it has me thinking like, you ever watch the aviator? Uh, yeah. Leo DiCaprio plays Howard Hughes. And there's that scene yep. where he, grabs a piece of tissue paper and and covers the doorknob as he's leaving the bathroom because he he doesn't know hey who else has touched this i have no idea who's touched this i want to make sure my hands don't get at it that's kind of how i feel with this now and i never used to feel this way i loved going to sporting events uh going to rogues games here in medford in the summertime going to raider games with my dad every year um you know trying to to go to duck and, and beaver games when i got tickets love that but I can't trust that all 70,000 of those people in the stadium with me are all healthy and so sure. you know there's I, no way to know yeah. yeah there's no way to know that um but honestly how has that changed from how we've operated the last 100 years right. 200 years right it hasn't it's it's yeah. no different it just highlights like that Howard Hughes thing where I thought about that and I went wow you know I never did that before and then I started doing it uh, using a public restroom, but uh, it, it just highlights, wow, you know, this is a really dangerous thing that we do. Yeah. Oh, well, there's, there's no question. And it doesn't, this is not, uh, this is not, you know, only to, to COVID-19. There's no question that there are a lot of easily spreadable, highly contagious diseases out there. And whether it's COVID or just the seasonal flu or it's, pneumonia or, you know, whatever the case might be, there are so many, you know, things out there that are easily contractable, highly spreadable. And unfortunately, that is just the nature of our world. And I, I you know, I, I'm not going to get into a big COVID spiel, but I, there's nothing I've seen or heard from anybody, either side, whichever side you're on, that tells me that there's anything better than simply just washing your hands diligently. Right. You know, if you, cause if you, if you put gloves on and you wear gloves, you're still getting stuff on your gloves. So if you go into the store and you shop with your gloves and you go home with your gloves on and you start opening your doorknob, you, nothing's changed. Yes. It's not on your skin, but it's still on the gloves. And you know, it's just, and that's, and really, I just, I don't know what you do to get, you know, to eliminate the threat of disease like that mm -hmm. other than staying indoors and not going anywhere. But then, of course, you're not exposing yourself to germs and antibodies for your body to, you know, develop and, and be able to help you combat. So it's I, I don't know. It's just it's crazy. And I'm not sitting here telling people they're wrong or anything. I'm just thinking out loud. It's just uh, it's just the way of the world, I guess. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I, I've covered every base that I wanted to hit on today. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about? 
No, uh, doesn't, it doesn't look like we'll get our guest, and that's okay. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of just where things are at and everybody's, it's just weird. Everybody's schedules are different now. And just, uh, I mean, I find myself, it's, it's weird. I find myself as busy as I've ever been. Um, but obviously it's not focal focused around scoop duck. It's not that I'm not working. We're getting, you know, two, three, four stories up a day pretty consistently, right. even considering the fact that there are no sports to write about. But, um, man, I just been, I don't know about you, but I've been yeah. crushing home, home projects, outdoor projects. And we've got, we've literally got like four things going right now at home. And I'm just, I find that with the kids home and, you know, Taylor, she's only nine and, you know, me trying to help her with her online coursing, she's constantly needing to ask me for questions, which is fine. I appreciate that. But it then takes away from me trying to do work and then, oh, it's lunchtime, got to feed them. And then, you know, Hey, okay, I've done, done a little bit of work. I want to go outside and it's nice out. I want to get this yard work handled or, or finish this project. And, um, and that's just probably related to our guest as well. They're, you know, busy. Yeah. Probably busy working, but also busy, you know, trying to do the stuff. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've gone to Lowe's a few times and gone to the local Grange down here and it's freaking elbow to elbow. There's a zillion people in there. They're selling out of stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids, so I, I definitely count my stars when it comes to that. Uh, because, I don't have to teach. I don't have to be Mr. Mom. I don't have to cook three meals for a bunch of, of kids, and, and that's great. Um, but I, I definitely feel where you're coming from because all my coworkers have kids. And for me, like you, I'm just as busy as I've always been, if not more, because now we're all working remotely. Sure. And I'm leaning on coworkers that are parents first. Right. And so you know, there's, there's parts of my day that, Hey, I used to get reports from Gene at eight 30. Now I get reports from Gene at nine 30 or, uh, Lindsay used to send me a, a email that I needed to finish this project every day. I'd get that at 10. Now I'm getting that at 11. And, um, and then I still have my show from four to six every night locally in Southern Oregon. So it's, um, it's still just as busy as it always was. It's just not busy in the workplace anymore. It's busy at home and it's busy in all of our homes. Yeah. It's the, the new normals become the new busy, I guess, if yeah. you will. So, but fortunately there's a lot of, uh, well, okay. I, let me rephrase that. Not fortunately, but there are a lot of people with some extra time on their hands currently either good or bad situations, but they're probably finding themselves with an ability to get more stuff done than they you know, I've gotten more stuff done now at home just in the last month than I thought I would have gotten done the rest of the year. Wow. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. No, it's exciting, but I'm also also excited for sports to get back. I don't know. You probably didn't see it, but I put a, I put a new poll up today on the front of uh, Scoop Duck, and it was, which professional sport are you currently missing the most right now? And I did limit it to professional sports, mm. but – you know, is it, you know, is it the PGA? Are you missing NASCAR? Are you missing, you know, spring ball for the MLB or NBA or, you know, what do you, what are you missing the most right now? So it's, it's tough because I'm, I'm a bigger football fan than anything, but I feel like we already got our, our dose of football for the spring. We just got the NFL draft for me. I'm missing baseball. Because I, I usually take vacation this time of the year. I had earmarked I was going to go to a Giants game. Going to cross that stadium off the bucket list. Um, and then all spring, you know, one of the blessings about working in Oregon, 
I get to cover a kick-ass Oregon softball team, and I get to cover a really fun, successful Oregon State baseball team. I was really looking forward to that. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of great spring sports. Um, on the heels of that, I'm not sure where you're at, but I just got a message from our, our potential guest if we want to bring him on for 10 minutes or so. Yeah, <laughs> no, that explains a lot. Okay, um, yeah, as, as soon as he pops in the queue, we'll let him in. Uh, you want to tell everybody who the mystery guest is today? Hang on, let me... Uh, okay. This, uh, mystery guest is never small potatoes, by the way. It's well, no, the, four people. Well, like like you've said, you know, there's 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 only a few folks that we will, you know, definitely work our schedule around because we understand that their schedule is obviously very intense. And you know, Mario Cristobal happens to be one of those individuals. So when you can get <laughs> Coach Cristobal on, you, you know, you take full advantage. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I- uh, hopefully. Hopefully he's getting some home improvement stuff done. I, I, I can't imagine that he's doing a ton of it, but you never know. Yeah. Well, I, I read an article. So that's who we got, Mario Cristobal, cat's out of the bag. Um, he uh, he gave an interview with uh, Kenzano of in Portland recently, and he was saying that he is the head chef, and he is the teacher, and he's the barber at his house. So I think he's yeah. a pretty busy guy right now. Yeah, jack of all trades, wearing all the hats. Yeah, that's what you do. Probably on a probably on a few recruiting phone calls here and there as well, and, and some Zoom meetings with his players and and coaches. And yeah, I I would imagine the new the new normal for for head coaches everywhere, not just Mario Cristobal, but everywhere is probably quite an experience. Yeah, and and earlier we were talking about things we could ask him. Uh, yeah, actually, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get him. He's he's in the room right now. Okay. All right, Mario Cristobal with us right now. Coach, really ever since the shutdowns started and and the world started to change, every time I've talked to Justin, I've asked him about duck recruiting and and what the hurdles are and how the world has changed there. And I, I think he's done a really good job, but you know better than anybody, how has recruiting changed for you? Well, it's certainly completely different than the original plan. I mean, you look at the opportunity to capitalize on a season where you, you win the Pac-12 conference, you win the Rose Bowl, and then you are you're geared uh, and set up to have arguably maybe the biggest crowd at your spring game, which is right kind of the centerpiece of our spring recruiting efforts, where you're going to honor those champions. You're going to have a ring ceremony, you know, and everybody obviously that's a big event. But not only that, but to honor the women's and men's basketball team, which sky was the limit for both, right? I mean, that would have been a, a monstrous just addition to the spring game and honoring our student athletes, not to mention the alumni that come back for the game, track and softball and full swing. So certainly um, it really changed the dynamic of a, a beautiful era, you know, of, of Oregon athletics, not to mention having our coaches on the road, being able to, again, to continue to, to forge and foster those relationships with all the high school coaches so because of that, you have to adjust. And now it's, um, you know, we're Zoom meeting with our players. We're also Zoom uh, recruiting. That's how you're connecting with prospects and families, parents, coaches. Um, it's just, it's nonstop. So your your hours are the same. They're probably even 
um, more so occupied just because you just keep finding different ways to do things and stuff to do. So it goes on and on and on, brother, but I'll, I'll stop there and wait for, for another question. Um, you mentioned the Zoom uh, recruiting meetings. Uh, I guess if you can, without giving everything away, what are what are a few of the things that you and, and your assistant coaches have been able to do, you know, during this pandemic time as far as continuing to recruit? And, and what are some of the practices you guys are using uh, on trying to continue recruiting? Yeah, well, you know, some things obviously we keep in house because we like to keep it our very own. But we have a very unique place. And there's nothing like setting foot on our campus and our facilities because they, we all know it's, it's second to none. But we do have the ability to bring that into the homes of our prospects and their families via Zoom, and via some of the virtual tours that we're doing and everything. And also to get a chance to meet the professionalism uh, level of the staff members that we have and some of our new coaches that certainly we feel are have upgraded our staff significantly that are going to bring just so much experience and knowledge and energy and juice and passion to the program. So it's uh, you're relegated to that. And the whole country is. So it's not like uh, these circumstances are unique to us or unique to everybody. So um, those are some of the things that we've been doing. But it uh, at the same time, while you are still preparing and not only assessing yourself and, and self-scouting, you're also preparing for your opponents or you're spending an extraordinary amount of time assessing them. Has that been maybe at least one positive byproduct out of this is having a little bit more time to, to spend on scouting and some of these other areas that you probably wouldn't have normally had the time for uh, under normal circumstances? Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I, I mean, we find time. I mean, we're, you know, we're the 20 hour day guys, so it doesn't matter <laughs> to us. We're going to find time. We're not going to compromise anything. It's like, just like for our student athletes, we don't compromise elite ath- athletics and we don't compromise elite academics. We, we get the best of both worlds at whatever it takes. So it's the same demeanor for the staff. I, the challenge now is trying to be a homeschool teacher. That's where I, I am not succeeding very well, but the effort is there. All right. My PE courses are phenomenal, but um, the other stuff and, and also some of the side stuff like my, my the cooking and the, uh, the home quarantine haircuts have not uh, gotten much satisfaction from the, the clientele. Coach, I can imagine you get more time with your family now than you've had in years. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mentioned it before. They're, they're ready to put me in the transfer portal. Like, they're ready. <laughs> I was going to say, if they had their fill of you being around, it's like, okay, Dad's been around long enough. Time to go back to work, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's no doubt, man. You know, I, uh, you know, Jessica does an unbelievable job, and it just you gain a whole new level of respect of how amazing of a job, you know, she does. And all the, the wives and mothers out there around the country, it's like, man, football is easy compared to some of this stuff. So without a doubt, when we go back to work, it'll definitely be a vacation from the home. I, I saw that uh, uh, Miss Cristobal recently celebrated, I believe, her 29th birthday last week. Something like that. Something like know? that, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we had our quarantine birthday celebration and um, – you know, we made the best of it. And of course, with the promise that one things do clear up, we'll, we'll do it uh, a little bit more, I would say to, you know, to her level of approval. Is there a, is there a, a meal that you cooked? that's like, you know, it's the one she was like, Oh goodness, you're going to make the, the, the Mario Cristobal meatball special or whatever. Or did you just order in? <laughs> no, no, you know, unless you're in a burgers and omelets, you're going to suffer with me as a chef. That, that's all. <laughs> 
that's all I can do. You know, I just, uh, I could pile those two things on and that's probably all I ate in college plus the George Foreman grill, which I had. So I was able to use that and get by, but now my, my culinary uh, skills aren't what they need to be, but you know, I am improving and learning a lot while I'm at home. Well, one of the, one of the greatest strengths of anybody is, is knowing your strengths and weaknesses and, and at least appreciating them. But, uh, I want to jump back on to recruiting one one bit, and, and I want you to, to know, first and foremost, I'm not trying to hot take you by any means, but I know you've got a really good finger on the pulse of what's being said about the program and the football team and recruiting. And, you know, I know some folks think, man, you know, recruiting has been slow for Oregon. You know, there's things happening elsewhere, this and that. And I'm not, I'm not certainly saying that that's the case or it's not, but What's just kind of your feel on Oregon recruiting right now? How do you, how are you feeling about things giving, you know, everybody's got a, it's, it's an even slate for everybody, but how are you kind of feeling about where things stand for you and your coaches and where they're at recruiting some of their main targets? Well, we know we certainly feel really good about um, the guys that we have targeted and how they feel about Oregon. You know, we certainly don't like the, the fact that we are, that, you know, our recruiting process is different in the sense that, the spring game and spring practices is kind of the big deal. You know, you look at us historically, when do a lot of guys make uh, decisions as it relates to, to the University of Oregon? It's when they set foot on campus. Well, that's been wiped out. So it's a little bit different, you know, when, um, when something like this occurs. But at some point in time, it will be lifted and there will be people on campus. And a lot of the, the guys that we have targeted, um, they know Oregon is the right fit. Um, they want to get here so they could see things and move forward with their processes. And quite honestly, we want to be around people too. We want to see how they fit. Um, and knowing and, and feeling out our roster and the way that we have, you know, began to really stack it up the right way. You know, we're bringing in talent to develop. We're not like stacking it behind others, you know, not, not just logging in and bringing in talented guys to sit. We have it really spread out and divvied up in a manner where we're getting guys on the football field. And as you all know, um, we're projected to have more first-round picks and higher first-round picks than just about most teams around the country over the next couple of years. And that's a tribute to not only recruiting good talent, but guys that have made the decision to work hard and player development. You know, And I think when that's out there, I think parents are smart enough to see, uh, see the, the reality of the matter that Oregon has really – you know, reestablish itself as an elite place with elite processes that are going to certainly care and develop our sons to the highest level. So we are excited. Um, there is there is a really good amount of momentum and we're looking forward to capitalizing on it here in the near future. Uh, Coach, you've got uh, you've got two confirmed new hires and I know there's a reported uh, third hire, which we won't discuss at this point, but uh, you know, Joe Moorhead's now in as your offensive coordinator. I know you guys only had four practices together in the spring. Uh, and, of course, Rod Chance is here uh, working with your cornerbacks for you. What's been, you know, I, I, know, I know it's a different dynamic, a different different time. Things are different right now. But what's been kind of your, your return on those guys, their professionalism? How have they been doing through all of this? And, and what's just kind of your, your report on them at this point? Well, you're looking at two real high-level professionals, right? And um, certainly as a football team, you always want to get better. And every time you have a chance to make an addition, you have a chance to upgrade at that position. And we feel we have certainly done that um, from a technical, fundamental standpoint, relationship standpoint, teaching the game standpoint. We're very blessed to have a, um, a couple of, of real deal pros that just have a high level of energy and passion for the game and that 
love Oregon, that want to be here, that we're lucky to have here and that the players have taken to rather quickly. Obviously, Rod had been here before, so there's a former, uh, I would say, established relationship there. And Coach Moorhead is, you know, right away fit in, man. He's just a uh, – that guy's a real pro. The guy's a real pro. And they our players sense that not only these guys care and they work hard, but they're, they're making our team better. And that's always important, man, when you introduce a new coach to a program or a new administrator. They, they, want, they really want to know what are they going to do to make us better. And the, uh, the evidence is pretty clear to our players. Uh, you know, Coach, I know you're busy, so we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I got an important one. And I know that you're a guy that lives, breathes, loves football. I know that you, you know, give your all for the University of Oregon and trying to make the program better and the team better and the players better. I know that those things are very important to you. It, so in all seriousness, how, how difficult has this, you know, been, this whole process, the quarantine, how difficult has this been? for you to kind of continue getting through, but ultimately not being able to be in the locker room every day and around the team and the players and, and, and just kind of doing your normal routine. Well, that's a difficult part being away from the players, the staff, because it's, we're not used to that, man. I, I remember always mentioning to Jessica, if they ever came where well, I'm not around the guys at these particular times of year, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Well, all of a sudden this is a reality, at least temporarily. And it's hard, you know, it's hard, but at the same time, we, we are so process oriented and so driven and all that we're just finding ways to improve and get better because we all well know that, man, we've invested our entire existence into establishing a culture that really doesn't worry about making any type of excuses or doesn't worry about the situations and circumstances. We're just, we're very driven to make sure the results meet our standards and doing it a certain way so that they are. And so it's been, um, I mean, so, you know, it's still the 4 a.m. getups and it's still the midnight, you know, put them down. So I just, but we're just going, man, we're going, we're, we're eagerly anticipating, um, you know, news uh, at any point in time. No, it's going to be a little bit longer, but I, we're, we're good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fired up for this thing to turn around. I have been able to watch every game, the TV copies, which is kind of a treat. You really never get to do that as a coach. Oh, That's yeah. been kind of fun. I watched the Rose Bowl. We won again the other night when we watched it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so all those things are, are positive. And then, you know, every now and then I get to introduce my sons to a good, you know, 80s or 90s movie, which is it's super important in their education. Right. I think they got to learn about the 80s and 90s. Such a great generation, right? Absolutely. And, uh, nah, it's, it's been it's – been, uh, we've made it as positive as it can be. And we want to make it like that for our players as well, and that they have that mentality. So the kids have seen Goonies how many times now, coach? You know, they've seen Goonies. Um, I'll tell you, what was the one that they saw? Oh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I hope I didn't uh-huh. give them any ideas, you know, but uh, <laughs> certainly that was a, that was a pretty good treat. You always have to be, you know, have your hand by the remote in case there's something that he's not ready to see yet. But right. Uh, it's been great, man. You know, it really has, you know, for them to watch the Sandlot. I mean, there's a classic for you, right? So Hell yeah. uh, it's, it's been good to kind of sneak those in there, get a lot of extra reading done and uh, just continue to help them with their, their work. And then also to kind of train them on the side too, introduce them to all these band workouts that coach Fell put together for our players. Well, that was going to be my last question. I'm glad you touched on that. How has coach Feld been able to integrate you know, what he does as a strength and conditioning coach and his assistants as well. But how, how have they been able to integrate with your players and at least try to, because obviously at this point, if they're not, if they're not working out properly, 
you know, that poses serious injury threats to these young men in the regular college football season, assuming we play. So how have they been able to kind of, you know, they can't do it like they normally do, but how's he been able to kind of work through this process? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it, I, our players understand that and coach Hull has done an unbelievable job along with his entire staff. I mean, that staff is an amazing strength conditioning staff and together they work with our guys, you know, they can instruct and supervise, but they can provide the materials. They can provide the workouts. Um, certainly they've received their, their series of bands and protein powder and shakes and bars and, and guidance on what to do equipment or I say equipment uh, gear on, on stuff to it that they can wear so they can work out and, you know, still have an effective off season knowing that, you know, it, it's limited on what spaces they can use and, knowing that, you know, they, our team will know, uh, our opponents will know who's been training, who hasn't been training. So it's just a matter of everyone understanding that you have to be safe first and foremost. That's number one over anything, safety, safety, safety. Number two, that at some point in time, this is all going to pass. It's going to pass. Okay. And when it does, the strongest culture will prevail during the course of the season undoubtedly, unquestionably, the team with the best leadership, the best mindset, the ones that are that that can continue to implement the principles and values of the culture will be the teams that have the most success. So um, that's that has to be enough. And a team has to take complete ownership of itself. Uh, last question, I promise, last question. Uh, and, and again, so many variables, and we're not asking you to speak in absolutes, but what's kind of your feel on how, you know, th- how this will impact the college football season, not just for Oregon, but for, for college football? You know, what's your kind of view on what we're looking at uh, maybe later this fall? You know, I, I can't speculate just because not being a scientist, I, I'd, I'd hate to sound silly, quite honest. <laughs> I'd, I'd hate to sound uneducated because – I know there's so much time and effort being poured into this. So the what I can say is that we have drawn up every possible scenario from starting tomorrow to whatever date the college season can start out into, you know, the fall. So there is a plan and the detail behind it has been unbelievable because we know there has to be an acclimation period. There has to be strength and conditioning sessions, you know, set up and staggered so that bodies are, are ready to handle the rigors of football not only camp, but also the season, uh, academically, how it affects the calendar. There, there are so many, there are good plans so that when there is a green light, that there will be a good plan of action ready to roll. But to speculate on when and how, I, I'd hate to get into that because I just, uh, I'm not qualified to do so. Uh, well, as they say, it's always better to be proactive than reactive. So, um, coach, we appreciate your time. I know it's valuable. I know you're still busy, even though you're at home and, uh, you know, we appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one guys and be safe. All right. Mario Cristobal. How about that, man? Yeah, no, it was a good little, little bit. I know he's done a few shows here and there, but you know, we always ask, uh, a little bit different questions. Not everybody gets, you know, a little bit into recruiting, uh, you know, like you you and I do maybe a little bit more. And, and of course, as our listeners know, he can't mention specific recruits by name, you know, that he hasn't signed. Um, but uh, again, just kind of good to hear because one of the most common chatter things we've heard right now is, you know, why is Oregon recruiting so slow? Well, I think he did a pretty good job of answering that and simply saying, hey, just let us get these guys on campus and, you, and you'll see what will happen. Right. The argument is that, well, 
everybody's recruiting is slow. It's not just Oregon, and and they're working with the same you know environment that everybody else in the country is working with. And Coach Cristobal's arguing that it's working pretty well. You know the the part that popped out to me, and I let you do most of the heavy lifting and just kind of listen to this because you know Mario a lot better than I do. But they're touring the campus for these guys, like they're they're getting maybe their phones and, and kind of giving them the virtual tour. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I believe that's become, um, you know, pretty much a, a necessity at this point for anybody that wants to, you know, continue to be competitive, um, you know, for the elite recruits out there. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think what folks don't understand is these coaches are spending as much, if not more time, you know, doing these virtual tours than they would, uh, you know, with recruits on campus. And, and what I mean by that is when a recruit shows up on a, on campus and it's an unofficial visit or an official visit, most of their time is spent with a GA or an analyst or a recruiting assistant. Those are the people that take them around and show them the tours and show them the campus and take them to meet Coach Feld and, and, and they interact with Coach Feld for 10 or 15 minutes. And then they leave and they go meet their position coach and maybe they sit in there for, you know, 15 minutes or 45 minutes. But instead, I think you're seeing that these coaches, uh, instead of maybe having that smaller window and letting someone else do most of the work, you know, I think the coaches now are the ones that really need to do most of the touring on the virtual tours, which takes more time. So instead of them, you know, sitting down in a chair and, 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 you know, and talking to these young men for 15, 20 minutes, they're on a computer doing a virtual tour for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever the case might be. Um, so it's a little more time consuming. That said, it's also developing a little better relationship as well. Cause you're, if you're spending more time, you're, you're, you're interacting and talking with them more. So um, I think that's kind of the, the, the catch to it. Um, you know, I believe that's a bit of what's going on. And if there's one thing you and I both know, it's, it's, we know that Mario Cristobal is a worker. He's, I mean, he expects a lot. He demands a lot of his, of his coaches, of his players and, and quarantine's not going to change that. So no, just because the work has changed doesn't mean they're doing any less of it. No, I 100% agree. You're, you're not going to find a harder working coach in the Pac-12. So that pretty much covers it. I, I feel good. We've hit an hour on the pod. and We had Mario freaking Cristobal. <laughs> uh, anything yeah. else you want to talk about today? No, I don't think there's anything else I'm going to add. If people are still listening in at this point, hopefully they uh, they enjoyed the uh, they enjoyed this podcast and it's it's the longest one we've had in a few weeks. So uh, I've, yeah. I'm enjoy- I enjoyed it because it was a, a little bit less of just you and me talking. And, and of course we had a terrific guest on today. Yeah. Like you said, and, and we've talked about this before, anytime you get a chance to get the CEO of duck football, the guy that is everybody's boss, the guy that everybody reports to the guy that everybody has at the very top of the pyramid, Mario Cristobal, you got to do it. So we got Mario Cristobal. It's a great pod. Uh, Listen to it on any podcast app you want. Just search for Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. That's Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. And uh, for those of you on ScoopDuck.com, listen to this and leave us comments every week. Really appreciate what you do. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks. I can do this night like all day long.